be seated. And you sing like you believe this morning. And that's wonderful. We do believe. That word believe, same word for faith. Faith. And this morning, I want to share with you uh, a message of faith, a challenge of faith, and a, a story, I believe, that is a journey of faith that we want to tell you about today. I am not a man of great faith. Now, I know that uh, may surprise some of you. Some of you think I have such faith that if I go fishing, I just walk out and change the bobber. But <laughs> it does not happen that way, I assure you. I really am not a man of faith at times, but I have found a formula that, that helps me in my, in my faith. I call it T-W-T, T-W-T. T, God talks to me. I read his word, he speaks. Faith comes by hearing, and that hearing by the Word of God. The Bible creates faith because God's voice is in His Word. So when I, I'm in need of faith every day, God talks to me as I open His Word. T-W-T, God talks. And then I walk. I walk with God. I, I listen. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And I personally have found that literally walking for me helps me to listen to God's voice, to, to meditate and then, T-W-T, God talks to me, I walk, think about what he is saying, what I'm hearing, and then I talk to God. I pray. I like to think of Luke 24, one of my favorite resurrection accounts is how Jesus walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And after he was gone, they said, did our hearts not burn within us as he talked with us and we walked along with him? I believe there is a literal reality of that, that you can sense the Lord. is He's talking to you with his word. You're walking with him and you're talking to him that you sense his presence. Talk, walk talk. I do this a lot. It helps my faith. 29 years ago, I remember in the early days just walking where you're seated right now, which was open fields, and just praying, listening, asking the Lord to 
do great things to show himself faithful. He'd done that over and over again. I remember when the first building was going up, coming in here, back here a little ways, walking. This is over 25 years ago. Just asking that this place would be a place where people would come to know the Lord. God's presence would be real. Lives would be changed. Walked a lot. For these years, I've walked these hallways. And when I walk them, I pray a lot and listen. Ask God to help me to understand what the Spirit is saying to the church. This auditorium, I come in here, I, I walk around it a lot. I doubt if there is a seat in this auditorium that I have not been seated in to pray. It helps me, it increases my faith. I remember a few years ago as we needed to expand and we wanted that property next to us. We believe we needed it and it was not available. But the folks who owned it at least gave me permission to walk it. And it was nothing but brush and briars. I wore out a number of good pairs of slacks. Just walking over there and praying and trying to hear what the Lord had to say. And God in his timing gave us that. I walked over there this morning. I do that on beautiful, nice mornings like this one. I regularly try to park up that way and pray over the day, but sometimes just get out and walk. And this morning, early there, people in Middlebrook probably thought there's that crazy man again <laughs> who's walking and sometimes his hands go up. And I went by the a pile of stones that are over there. October of 2007, some of you may remember, as we were praying God would show us what he wanted to do with that property before it was ever developed and going forward as he would lead us just to take some stones from this property, put them on the next property, and they're up there. Little monument holds them up, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so today I was up there walking, as thinking about this service. Now what I'd like you to do this morning with me and also with uh, Jared and Derek as they come to share is just take a walk. We'll take a little walk, a walk first of all of a two years. And we're not gonna carry rocks, we're going to carry seeds, okay? About two years ago, uh, we had a missions conference here. And that theme of our global conference was disciple, disciple, multiply, disciple to disciple. And one of our speakers was our missionary staff member, Tony Anzalone, and grateful that Tony and Joy could be with us. They ministered down in Ecuador. And he brought a message that morning that was multiply 
disciples and churches. And I was sitting back there and listening. I thought that's an interesting title as he's changed the title and this is the theme, multiply disciple to disciple. And then he began to speak. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those times when the Lord just sort of like, wake up. Sometimes you need me to say that to you. I I know, I observe that some Sunday morning. (laughs) But it's better when the Lord tells you. And so the Lord just said, you just need to listen. I I just sensed that. And that's happened a few times in in my life in ministry. The conference theme was multiply disciple to disciple, but what I was hearing as he was sharing was multiply churches. It was interesting as I was listening to him and I was hearing this, I was thinking, now this is the son-in-law of the church planter of our church. His father-in-law was the church planting pastor here, Ted Willie. So after I I heard that, that Sunday morning, one of these strange things when you feel like God's speaking, but you don't know exactly what it is, you know what I decided to do? I decided to take a walk. (laughs) I told you I do that a lot. But month after month, just for exercise, and again, just my TWT time, I would just talk to walk, and the Lord would talk, and I would walk, and I would talk to God, and After many months of this, I shared my journey with some of the staff here. I said, I think the Lord may be stirring our hearts about multiplying our church. God's called us to make disciples. He's calling us to multiply disciples, disciples. but with that, I think we need to really consider multiplying our church. And so... We began to discuss that, pray about that. That was over a year and a half ago, I guess. And then last February, I had a conversation with Derek and Jared, and this was February 2015, to talk to them about this heart for church planting and sort of focusing some discussions we had had. And that conversation led to some more, and then last April, when we were in a conference down in Florida, all the pastoral team, one of the real focuses was about church planting. And I was able to have a real significant time with Jared and Derek, and and believed that they not only could, but they should be involved in church planting from West Park. And so we decided as a pastoral team that we would continue to pray about that. And all last fall, actually last summer, we prayed about that and the Lord seemed to continue to give us direction. And finally, we set aside a three-day retreat last October. So all of us as pastors went away to spend two and a half days together And we said when we leave this this retreat, we were praying up to it and praying during it and just saying, when we leave this retreat, we want to be able to know in our hearts the answer to two questions. Number one, is God calling West Park 
to plan a church? And number two, is he calling Jared and Derek to lead that? That was the two questions. And we came away from that conference together, that retreat together rather, believing the answer was yes. Unified as pastors that yes, we believe that God is calling West Park to plant a church and that yes, we believe that God is calling Jared and Derek to lead that. But again, everything needs to be bathed in prayer, correct? Lord, guide us, confirm this. And so after another season of prayer, we met together as a team of pastors and and then the first week of December passed. We really believed that we were committed to calling the church to what we were hearing from the Lord. And that's led to a few conversations uh, with leaders, servant leaders here on the staff, with our deacons. And that brings us to this morning. So this morning, what I want you to do is take a walk with me and with Jared and Derek for a few minutes. And we're, we're going to take a journey. We're going to walk. We're going to walk west. We're not carrying rocks. We want to carry seeds. Seeds for planting. Planting the seed. And so that's where we're going this morning. That's the story of what brings us to a very uh, momentous gathering as a church family. And now what we're, we're going to do is that Jared's going to come, he's going to share a little bit of his story, and then he's going to talk about why church planting is right, why it's biblical. And then Derek's going to come, he's going to share a little of his story about this, and then he's going to share about why church planting is strategic, why it's effective. And then for the last section, I'll be back up here and try to initially answer the questions, why West Park, why now? So I'm going to ask Jared if you come at this time and I want you to listen. He's going to share a little his story and what God says in a word about plants. Good morning, West Park. I do want to first thank Sam and the other pastoral team for their partnership and their leadership in this. It is a real honor and a privilege to serve with them. And I also want to express my deep love for West Park. Um, I've had the rather unique blessing for being, of being here all my life um, and of serving in some capacity on staff here for almost 17 years now. And I can say I love this church and I love the team that I serve with. I can also tell you that I, I'm very humbled and I'm very excited about the opportunity, about the prospect of con- continuing West Park's mission, carrying out West Park's mission of making disciples. Um, I'm excited and humbled and maybe just a little scared, but scared in a good way. You know, the kind of scared that's good for your prayer life. That kind of scared. (laughs) And before I I share a little bit of the biblical basis for church planting, I just want to briefly share with you how the Lord has led me, how the Lord's led Sarah and our family in this direction Looking back, I would say years ago, the Lord put something in my heart for church planting. And, I, and I've wondered, where did this affinity come from? And I, as I've looked back at my story, 
Um, I, I had the opportunity to watch my youth pastor here at West Park um, launch out, be sent out by West Park to plant a church in southern Ohio, Westchester area. And because of my deep friendship with him, I had a chance to watch um, the difficulties, but even more than that, the great excitement and blessing of seeing a new church come to a new place. And the Lord just put that in my heart as a young man looking for ministry, just a soft spot and affinity for church planting. And for several other reasons as well, um, I would say that church planting somewhere along my journey really became a type of ministry dream. The, the answer to that question, if you could do anything, you know, that kind of question, if you could do anything, what would you do? It doesn't seem like much of a reality, but it became a, a ministry dream. But over the last year or so, as we've really discussed and considered church planting in greater detail, that ministry dream has really become a growing conviction that church planting is biblical and church planting is effective. And as Pastor Sam said, those are the two points that Derek and I really hope to convey to you this morning, why it's right and why it's effective. And even just recently, all the way up to this morning, the Lord has been so good to lead, as he always does, through his word, through prayer, through godly counsel and wisdom, the Lord has been good and kind to lead Sarah and I through growing, a growing sense of peace and also a desire for this work. And he continues to open up doors and opportunities. I look forward to sharing more of that story, but really this morning I want to take a little bit of time to show, with you, show you from Scripture why we have a growing conviction that church planting is right, it's biblical. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but um, church planting has received a lot of attention over the last few years. There's there's an increased um, focus on and interest in church planting. And and we might ask ourselves, um, when we see something like that, is this just the latest, greatest uh, innovation in the church world? Or is this something different? Is this something that churches everywhere should consider? And a church like West Park should consider. I recently came across this quote from John Stott as he talked about the church's mission. Listen to this. It's short but powerful. He said, biblical Christians need biblical incentives. Biblical Christians need biblical incentives. He goes on to say that we we must look to God's revelation of himself and of his will in the Bible. To summarize, he says, we must take our cues from the Bible and nowhere else. So when it comes to our mission as a church at West Park, we say, what does the Bible have to say? And we ask ourselves, does does the Bible have anything to say about church planting? Well, not in so many words. Church planting, per se, that language is never used in the Bible. But what we find is this, that church planting is an integral part of fulfilling the Great Commission. All right, I I want you to hear that, that church planting is an integral part of fulfilling the Great Commission. If you want the shorter version of that, it's this, making disciples involves church planting. What's the Great Commission? 
Let's think about it together. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The mission of those first disciples and of every disciple since is this, to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to see them grow in the knowledge of and obedience to the commands of Christ. Wow, what a task. That's a huge task. How is that possible? Well, only with the promises found in verse 18 and 20, that we would go in the authority and with the presence of the resurrected Christ. And so we go from Matthew 28 and we say, well, what happened? What happened when these disciples were sent out, commissioned in the power of the Holy Spirit? What happened? Well, Acts chapter two answers the question to what happened. The gospel was preached. Unbelievers were converted. Disciples were baptized and taught to obey Christ. That's exactly what happened. But not only that, not only were disciples made, but a church was planted. This is Acts chapter two, the Jerusalem church. The disciples planted a church. So new disciples were baptized, but baptized into a local church. New disciples were made and established, taught to obey Christ, but that happened in the context of a local church. These new disciples were brought into a community of believers under the authority of the church leadership. Church planting is crucial to making disciples because disciples are made in the local church. Disciples are made in the local church. And what a church it was, right? Jerusalem church, the church that saw 3,000 converted in one day, that's a growing church. What a mega church, instantaneous mega church. And what a model church it was. If you were to read uh, Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47, what you would find is that this is the church that every church aspires to be. What a model church this was. But what we find out in Acts is that this Jerusalem church, this mega church, this first Baptist church, Jerusalem, was not the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It was never intended to be the end of the line. Here we are enjoying the church at Jerusalem. It's everything that we thought it could be, everything we hoped and dreamed it could be. What we find out is that it was not the fulfillment, that the gospel was to continue to go out. And that's exactly what we find in the book of Acts. That this church at Jerusalem planted other churches. As the believers were scattered out of Jerusalem due to persecution and that we find in Acts chapter eight, as they go out, they take the gospel with them, they take the mission with them to make disciples, and they plant churches. Churches like the church at Antioch, another amazing church. If you wanna know how amazing it was, all you have to do is look to the leadership. Paul and Barnabas were some of the pastors there. That's a pretty good start on a church. 
this church at Antioch. But what we find is that churches like Antioch, even these churches were not the end of the line of the Great Commission. They were not the final link in this Great Commission chain. But they were just another link in this chain of making disciples and planting churches. And so what do we find in Acts chapter 13? What do churches like the church at Antioch do? They plant more churches. This Acts 13, this Antioch moment when the church sets aside Paul and Barnabas to go out from Antioch and plant even more churches to make even more disciples. And what we find is that the New Testament pattern continues even today. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the mission is still to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, to plant churches who will plant churches. A church planter, J.D. Greer, said this. He said, you know, I kind of chuckle when people say that they're a part of a church plant. Why? Because every church member is a part of a church plant. Every church was planted at some point. Even West Park, we could follow our lineage all the way back. All the way back to those New Testament churches who made disciples and planted churches that made disciples and planted churches all the way to this day. And this is West Park's story. Pastor Sam alluded to it, but in 1961, a small group of believers met in a home off Fox, or off, off of Alonis Road, the home of my great uncle, Roy Valentine. It was a home that I spent time in as a child. But in that home, Faith Baptist, that would become West Park, was planted, was birthed. West Park was planted. And by God's grace, West Park has planted. You may not know this, but we've been a part of planting a church in South Knoxville, in the Cincinnati area. We've helped with a church plant in D.C. You've heard in the last few weeks how we've been a part of church planting all over the globe. And by God's grace, West Park will continue to be a part of church planting, making disciples who make disciples, planting churches that plant churches both near and far. This was our theme, across the street and around the world. And we'll just give you a reminder that the work across the street is not finished yet. Sometimes we need that reminder I've come across two statistics that both confirmed one another that as many as 40 to 50% of Knoxville is unchurched. That's right in the middle of the Bible Belt. In fact, I read another quote from the North American Mission Board that said really the, the idea of a Bible Belt is becoming more and more of a myth. That as many as two thirds of folks that live in the Bible Belt would consider themselves lost. And you say, how could that be? Well, you consider the generation growing up behind a Bible Belt generation and the increased immigrants in our community. We see that the Bible Belt is really fading as more and more are not even willing to bear the name, not even willing to be a nominal Christian. Some of us pastors were talking recently and one stat was thrown out that maybe as many as 70% of Knoxville is not in a church on Sunday morning. Those are the statistics that are real. 
right here. And so I, I agree with Ed Stetzer, who writes a lot on church planting. He says, no church should become a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway, right? Think about that. No church should be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway. We're not the end of the story. By God's grace, we get in on the story of making disciples who make disciples, planting churches who will plant churches. And Derek's gonna come and share part of his story as well as sharing why church planting is one of the best ways, not only biblical, but one of the best ways to continue the work of the Great Commission. Derek. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Sam. And a good morning, West Park. Well, I wish I had time this morning to tell you all the details that have led up to this moment, but suffice it to say that it has been an exciting and an emotional journey. Uh, emotional because we love West Park and we love you all. We've been here 10 years this summer and uh, we've been doing life here for quite some time. Our family literally started here and we love West Park. So the thought of transition has been difficult. But it's also been exciting, right? Because God's mission is exciting. Adventuring with God is exciting. And watching him provide along the way has been amazing. For me, this journey began actually several years ago. It was a random Saturday afternoon. I was sitting at the dining room table and I was reading a book on ministry. And the pastor writing this book got to a place where he said in his own ministry, he realized it was time for something new. And the Lord took that little sentence and just said it to me in that moment. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where something that somebody says or something that you saw in a movie or in a book just hits you like it was meant for you. And that was my moment when I heard, when I read that little line. And I began actually just to cry there and, and with such a sense that something new was on the horizon. So Jess came home and I'm all, you know, weepy telling her about what's happening. You know, she's wondering what's going on. And in the coming days, I began to, to pray about that. I shared with some very close friends. Uh, we prayed together. And I even went to Pastor Sam and said, you know, here's what's happening in my heart. Um, you know, don't kick me out or anything. And, and he just very graciously, wisely said, I understand, I've been there before. And let's pray together. And let, sometimes these things take time, so let's pray. And, and so we did. And so the last three years for me have been praying and watching and watching and praying, not really knowing what it was, what the, the meaning of this nudge was, but feeling that it was very real. And for some time, I, I really had no sense to the shape that this would take. And, and there's even days, you know, where you wonder, did I just eat something weird that Saturday? What was that all about, you know? But last February is when that feeling began to take shape. And that feeling began to have traction when Sam sat down with Jared and I at Einstein's and said, have you guys ever thought about church planning? And that began a whole year of exploration as we uh, met with other church planners and took an assessment, a, a year of uh, research as we, we read about the necessity and thinking behind continual church planning a year of conversation as we talked with family and friends and our staff here. And again, just a lot of prayer. And so 
here at this moment, I can tell you that after a year of weighing this prayerfully, I am convinced that God is opening this door and that we should walk through it. Now, sometime I'd love to sit down with you and tell you more details about that journey, uh, but this morning I wanna give you one significant part to that for me. I wanna give you one significant reason for me why I am convinced that we need to do this. One of the most significant aspects of church planning that convinced me that we should walk through this door was the strategy behind it. I like strategy, right? So to get my head around this was very helpful. Now, when I first thought about church planning, you know, I was always been for church planning and, and global missions. That made a lot of sense. But probably like some of you, I wondered how did church planning make sense here in the United States, right? Because we already have so many churches, right? And you may be sitting there thinking the same thing this morning, but we have so many churches. But there were some problems with the way I was thinking. Let me show you how I originally thought about church planning, all right? So I have some crude graphics here. I apologize for my artwork, uh, but let me walk you through this. So you have an area, and this area is filled with people, which are these little grayish white dots here. There's no church. So what do you do? Plant a church, right? And that church begins to have its work, and it begins to reach out, reach people, has its effect, Mission complete. That area has been reached, and now we can move on. And now we'll find another area with people, no church, we'll plant a church. But there were at least three problems with the way I was thinking about this. I wanna walk you through those three problems, okay? Briefly. All right, problem number one is the problem of diminishing outreach of growing churches. Any, as any church grows, it will struggle Oh, that really gets washed out. Okay, church is in the middle there. All right. As any church grows, it struggles to continue to reach out. As it grows, the reach actually slows down. So that's represented by the, the whiteness starting to fade. And the center gets very strong, and that's good and natural. Any organization, as it gets bigger, the center gets stronger. But the outer reach begins to slow down and weaken. And you see the problem with that is there's still people in this area who have not been reached. So that's the first problem, is that no single church, no matter how big it is, can reach every person in an area. Second problem, the problem of population complexity, all right? So originally I had gray dots, but it's not that simple, is it? Any given area is a mix of stories and cultures and people. Uh, one missiologist has remarked that we tend to think of American culture as a pancake, right? That we're all the same wherever you go in the U.S. But in reality, he said, American culture is more like a waffle, right? With little divots of culture and pockets of culture. And you've seen that even as you've watched the primaries over the last couple of months, how different we are state to state. And then if, in Knoxville, you all know that, that North Knoxville is different than South Knoxville. And South Knoxville is different than West Knoxville. And West Knoxville is different than North Knoxville. And even in West Knoxville, you all might have certain thoughts or stereotypes if I mentioned to you the communities of Farragut or Bearden or Carnes or Hardin Valley, right? Each of these is their own little communities with their own little identities. And so again, the point here is that no single church can reach all these different 
people. Simply can't connect with every different type of person. All right, problem number three is the problem of church decline and population growth. Now that first picture that I showed you in my original thinking was a static image. There's 30 gray dots, one church. But that's not accurate. Every day, or I should say all the time, churches are closing and the population's growing. All the time, churches are closing and the population's growing. Let me give you some numbers. Uh, Each year, 3,500 to 4,000 churches close their doors every year. In 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 people. In 2004, there are now 11 for every 10,000. So 28 for every 10,000, now 11 for every 10,000. From 1991 to 2004, the number of unchurched adults doubled in the U.S. And just as a side note, people ask, you know, are these numbers accurate? And statisticians say, probably not. Because in America, it's still viewed as a good thing to go to church. So when someone asks you if you go to church, you lie. (laughs) You know, you say, yeah, oh yeah, I go to church. So it's probably actually worse than these stats. So that leaves us with 120 million secular folks in the U.S. What does that mean? That means that the U.S. is the largest mission field in the Western Hemisphere. And that means out of 196 countries in the world, U.S. is the fifth largest mission field in the world. So if you said, I just want to be strategic, I want to use our resources wisely, we're just going to target the top five unreached nations, well, number five would be the U.S. So then, what do we do with these problems? What do we do with the problem of diminishing outreach? What do we do with the problem of population complexity? What do we do with the problem of churches declining, closing, and even the population growing? What do we do? We plant churches. A city needs all kinds of churches reaching all kinds of people. Different sizes, different shapes, different characteristics. We need all kinds of churches reaching all kinds of people. Let me just quickly walk you back through those three problems and how church planning answers those. So to the first problem, how do we reach unbelievers? Church planning reaches new people very effectively. It reaches unchurched and unbelievers very effectively. Uh, One missiologist, uh, Peter Wagner, has famously observed the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. And Ed Stetzer has shown in the studies he's done that on a per capita basis, new churches win more people to Christ than established churches. Now this morning we don't have time to get into why that is, but I just want you to simply note that that's the case. New churches, planting new churches, the practice of planting churches is most effective in reaching unbelievers. And that's not even a a contested point. That is shown in study after study. So if you want to keep reaching unbelievers in our area, plant churches. How about problem number two, the problem of population complexity? How does church planning address that challenge? Well, church planning reaches different people. It's very effective in reaching all kinds of different people. Again, studies consistently show that church planning is better at reaching new generations, new residents, and new people groups. 
Now, why? Well, it's not because existing churches don't care or aren't trying. No, existing churches are good and needed and are having an impact. That's not the point. This is not about uh, better or worse. The point is we just need all kinds of churches. That's the point. So West Park has an impact. West Park has a reach. West Park is making converts. But there's so many different peoples, even in this Knoxville area, that we still need more churches. All kinds of churches reaching all kinds of people. Tim Keller has said, one church, no matter how big, will never be able to serve all the needs of such a diverse city. Only a movement of hundreds of churches, small and large, can penetrate literally every neighborhood and people group in the city. So when you move to that scale, we want to reach every neighborhood, we want to occupy the streets, we want to reach every people group, then we need to plant more churches. Let them infiltrate those areas. And church planting has shown itself again and again to be effective at that. Now, how does church planning answer the third problem? The problem of church decline and population growth. Well, this may seem obvious, but you're not going to be able to disciple more people with less churches. You're not going to be able to reach a growing population with a shrinking church base. So we must plant churches. Studies show that for a denomination to grow and offset the churches that are closing their doors, a denomination, a group of churches, needs to plant 3% of its body per year. So if there's 100 churches, three churches need to be planted per year to keep up and offset those that are closing their doors. If you then factor in population growth, we need to double the rate of churches being planted right now. We need to plant 7,200 new churches per year. So if you say, Derek, I just want West Park to have an impact in our community, then you want West Park to plant a church. If you say, well, I'm just interested in discipleship, I want more and better disciples, then you want to plant a church. If you say, I just want to see the gospel go out and reach new peoples and penetrate new people groups, then you want to plant a church. If you say, I, I just want to see the next generation get it, then you want to be involved and be a part of and root for church planning. So that's one of the, the significant reasons. There's more. I'm going to pass it back to Sam. Sam's going to talk about why West Park, why now. So thank you. Thank you, Darren, Jared, and Derek. Didn't they do a great job? They won. Thank you so much. And oh, I wish I had some cool graphics like that, you know. <laughs> but I can barely turn on my computer, let alone make graphics. So I just talk and walk and talk, you know. <laughs> I do want to wrap this up as we. Talk about uh, this, why West Park, why now? I mean, don't we just have great fellowship? I mean, man, are we, we're, going to, we're going to divide our, our fellowship. And, you know, it's just so strange sometimes the way churches think about what fellowship means. For a lot of people, you know, church fellowship, you know, tastes like fried chicken. You know, that's, oh, that's church fellowship. We were having, we we're at fellowship. But what's fellowship for what? The Bible says it's fellowship in the gospel, right? 
It's fellowship for the sake of the gospel. And that is number one. Why West Park? Why now? I'll just give you these reasons. Number one, it's because we're committed to the gospel. We're committed to God's kingdom. We are committed to God's mission. It is not about our church. It's about our God and his glory, his renown, and his will being accomplished. And that is a redeemed people of every nation, tribe, and language who will encircle him and know him forever and ever. And that mission is the mission of the church. So when we're talking about church planning, someone may say, is, is something wrong? Is, is something wrong? Did we not know is something wrong? No, something's right. <laughs> this, this is right. We are a church that is about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing them develop as disciples who love God, love people, impact the world. We are a church that desires to be more and more intentional about impacting our community with the message and the ministry of God's love. And that mission, I believe, translates into this mission of church planting. Folks, sometimes we forget the need. Derek's been talking about the Bible Belt. Forget it. It does not exist and hasn't for some time. Within two miles from where you're seated right now, within two miles from where you're seated right now, 45,000 people live. And at least 30,000 of that 45,000 are not a part of a church. Now our goal is, first of all, not that they become part of a church, that they be connected with Christ, right? The city that I served in in Ohio for seven years, the entire county had 37,000 people. Within two miles of where you are, 45,000. And the need's great. So we're committed to God's kingdom, God's mission, making disciples. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about them. Second thing I want you to know about why West Park, why now? Because church planting refocuses everyone on this mission. It refocuses everyone on this mission. Friends, listen to this. I want you to know it. Derek and Jared are not planting a church. We are planting a church. West Park is being called by God to plant a church. But what churches need are trustworthy, godly men approved by the Lord and by the people who have served with him so that people can have a spiritual vulnerability to them and they can shepherd their soul. And that is what these two men are. I don't take this lightly. 
I would be very selective, were I not a pastor, to whom I would make myself spiritually vulnerable. But I'd be honored to sit under the ministry of either one of these men. Because I've worked with them for years and years and years. I know their heart, their character, their faith. They have been tested and approved as workmen. They don't need to be ashamed. So it requires servant leaders. Churches need that. Churches need that. And thank God that we have that quality in these men. Number one, we're doing this and we need to do it now because we are committed to God's kingdom and God's mission of making disciples. Number two, because church planting refocus everyone on the mission. This is going to help us be refocused on the mission. And number three, because it is risky and requires faith. It's risky and requires faith. It's easy to talk about planning a church when all things are going in the right direction. Numbers, money, everything. But God calls us at times when we are wondering, how's this going to happen? I don't know. You know, the math doesn't work here. Should we do it? Listen. God has a different kind of math. Five loaves and a few fish don't feed 5,000, except if Jesus <laughs> is serving lunch. A little, bit of, a little bit of flour and a little cruise of oil is not going to feed a preacher week after week after week, <laughs> unless the Lord is doing it. It requires faith. It's risky, and that's the reason all the more God is calling us to do it because our faith is going to be increased. If the Lord Jesus does not come in the next few years and he lets us live, won't it be wonderful what we'll see? Multiplication, more disciples, more churches because of what God is doing here now. It will be. So now what's next? What's next? What are we doing now? What's next? Very practical. First of all, in front of you, you see little cards about prayer where you can be a part of a prayer team and we need hundreds of people on a prayer team for this. And so if you're willing to be a part of the prayer team, you can either take one of those cards, whether it says prayer team or not, just put your name on it, your email address, And as you leave today, we're going to encourage you just go by, drop it at one of the welcome desks, either out front or over the side. Give it to some of the pastors. That'll be fine. But say, yes, I'm going to be on board. I'm going to pray about this. Now, here's why it's so important, because we have to bathe this in prayer. We need a prayer team. We need prayer and fasting. Will you do it? Every week, we're going to send out prayer prompts. So you'll know how to be praying. You can put that into your prayer time, into your TWT time, and pray about what God is doing. 
Tomorrow night is a night of prayer here at seven o'clock. I hope that you'll come and one of the special focuses will be this prayer for our church plant. Now here's some other dates. March 20th, two weeks from today, in the evening, we're going to have a special time of question and answers and further details about the church plant vision. No, you've got lots of lots of questions and I hope that you will recognize we can't deal with all those in this setting. We will communicate very effectively going forward. But March 20th, uh, over in the Hub Student Center, we'll have a time of fellowship and just questions and answers and you can hear from the pastors about the specifics of the vision, more about it. Another date, April 17th. On April 17th, in the evening, we're going to have a called church meeting for the purpose of affirming this vision that God's given to us. This is a decision and a journey that needs to be taken by us as a family together. And so on that night, we will have a called gathering of the church for the purpose of affirming this vision, this mission of church planting, and officially setting aside Jared and Derek, two of our pastors, to lead this initiative. With that affirmation from the church, then... That next week in April, Jared and Derek will officially transition their leadership responsibilities into the church planting vision. They'll still be here with us on staff, but after the church affirmation, their entire focus and and their work will be about the establishing and overseeing of this church plant. Then I'm gonna ask you to be praying toward May 22nd. May 22nd, we're going to have a special offering that we're calling Seeds for Planting. And I believe that we as a church should give the greatest offering, faith offering we've ever given toward this greatest mission initiative we've taken, and I pray that you'll be very, very generous and as we proceed toward that, and I know you will, and that's on May 22nd. Now, just once you know this, the team's coming to lead us in praise as we close, but each week you're going to receive prayer points. If we have your email address, we'll send them right to you, but we will also list these in the bulletin during the week's. We need continual prayer, and I would ask many of you to be in prayer and fasting. God has great things in store. The future is as bright as the promises of God, right? And I am so excited where the Lord is leading us. It's all about his church. The glory being under the Lord. Because, friends, it's true. He's all to us, isn't he? He's all to us. Let's stand and let's sing again to him. He's our precious cornerstone.